It's great to be able to um, preach to you guys this morning. It's brilliant to be able to carry on the parables um, series that we're focusing on um, through Luke. And just before I crack on, let's just pray together. Yes, God, I just thank you for this opportunity that we have just to look at your word, Jesus, to study the stories that you told and to try and really understand, Jesus, what is it that you're saying to us? And Lord, I just pray that you would be with us during this time and that, Father, you would speak to our hearts. Lord, help us to be open. We want to hear from you this morning. Holy Spirit, be amongst this time together. Amen. Amen. Now, I don't know about you, but I love a good party. I really do. Do you like a good party? If you were here maybe a couple of weeks ago, we had a service celebration. There's a few smiles going around already. And, um, and you would have seen me, and not just me, but some of the other pastors as well, dancing away. And I'm not talking about some, you know, dad dancing. I'm talking about some serious, serious moves. And, um, and I'm, if you don't believe me, then why don't you step into serving? You can come next year to the service celebration and you can see how the pastors really do dance. But I'm sure if you think back, um, you can think of yourself, some pretty good parties that you've been to, some big parties that you've been to in your time. But the funny thing is, when you're hosting a big party, sometimes you just don't know who is going to turn up. A few years ago, there was a 14-year-old girl who lived out in Essex in kind of Billericay, somewhere around there, and she was planning to celebrate her 15th birthday party. It was going to be at home. She'd invite a few friends. The soft drinks and the snacks were all laid out. The music was at a sensible level. And most importantly, her mum was at hand to make sure that things didn't get out of control. However, however, she thought it would be a good idea to do an open invite on Facebook and on Twitter, inviting people to her party. And her party totally spiralled out of control. And approximately 800 teenagers turned up to this small house in Billericay. And basically what happened over the next couple of hours before the police could turn up and actually kind of put an end to it all and try and get everyone out, they totally, totally ripped the house to pieces. There were walls kicked in, ceilings were falling down, graffiti all over the walls, and I'm really sorry to the worship team here, but they did actually drag a piano out into the garden and totally, totally trashed it. In, in total, they estimated that, they, that the party itself had caused nearly £30,000 worth of damage. So there we go. If anyone's thinking of having an open house over the summer, just make sure you don't paste it on uh, Facebook or Twitter. But when you're having a party, sometimes you never know who's going to turn up unexpected. And the story that we're going to read about this morning is Jesus at a Pharisee's open house party. Now, the Pharisee didn't have 800 teenagers turning up to smash up the place, but he did have one unexpected guest. And today, we're going to be looking at the story of Jesus being anointed by a sinful woman where he tells the parable of the two debtors. So we're going to read that together now. If you've got your Bibles, you can turn to Luke chapter 7, verses 36 to 50, and it will come up on the screen as well. So let's just read this through together. When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. A woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house, so she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. As she stood behind him at his feet weeping, 
she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisee who invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, if he really was a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is. She is a sinner. Jesus answered him, Simon, I've got something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two people owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he forgave both debts. Now which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned towards the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I've entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not pour oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little, loves little. Jesus said to the woman, your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. So it's quite a long story there, but... It's interesting to note that parables, parables are said to be like an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. And Jesus takes the simple and the everyday things, like just two people owing money, to try and help us understand things of the kingdom of God, to understand God's heart towards each one of us, to try and help us understand the importance of Jesus. So today, in this story, in this parable, what is Jesus trying to tell us today? You know, what message is he trying to help us understand? And is there anything that we need to do today to respond to Jesus? So let's just set the scene together. Because there's a lot going on in the story. And you'll notice the actual parable itself is only a few lines long. It's only actually four sentences, in fact, that are wedged firmly right in the middle of the whole passage. And we need to understand that this wasn't like a candlelit dinner between Simon and Jesus here. Um, You know, it was more like a feast. It was actually the custom of the day for a feast like this, for someone in society like a Pharisee, when they had a feast like this, that it was an open house. They would actually keep the doors open. They would leave everything open so that anyone who was walking by or anyone who knew the party was going on could come in. You know, people might want to speak to a guest who was going to be at the party, or they would keep it open so maybe for the poor or for beggars to be able to come in and maybe get a gift or try and get some money from one of the guests. So you really were opening up your house to all sorts of people. And here we have Simon the Pharisee, we have Jesus, and we have the sinful woman. So firstly, what can we learn about the Pharisee? Because we don't often see Pharisees socialising with Jesus at all. You know, the Pharisees were like an elite group of men that divorced themselves from ordinary Jewish life. You know, they separated themselves from the kind of the common Israel working class to observe and study and to uphold the Jewish law. I mean, their names literally meant separated ones. And the Pharisees were generally opposed to Jesus as well. They, had, they didn't really know how to take him. 
They weren't really sure who he was. They didn't, certainly didn't believe that he really was the son of God. And actually, they were the ones eventually who would have instigated Jesus' death. So Jesus was not among friends here. It's not like he was hanging out with the 12 disciples. Jesus was not among friends. But there are occasions like this one where we see and we read about Pharisees who are obviously curious about Jesus. And to be honest, why not? I mean, Jesus went around preaching, attracting large crowds, healing people from sickness, opening blind eyes, curing leprosy, walking in water, even raising people from the dead. So if you were alive in Jesus' time, you would have been curious as well. And we read about another Pharisee called Nicodemus. You can read about it in John chapter 3. And he actually came to Jesus at night. He came to him at night. He wasn't as bold as Simon was. He wasn't as open as Simon was. And he actually said to Jesus, he said, look, we know, we know that you're a teacher who has come from God. For no one could perform the signs you are doing if God were not with him. So who was this Jesus? Simon was curious and he wanted to find out. We can see that he was open, but he was sceptical. And we can see this through his thoughts. We can see this when the woman not only approaches Jesus, but Jesus allows the woman to touch him, to wash his feet with her tears, to dry his feet with her hair, and then to pour perfume on them. Simon, the Pharisee, would have been thinking, what on earth is going on here? What on earth is going on? Because he wouldn't have wanted to have known this woman at all, to talk to her, to even give her the time of day. If Simon had seen her walking down the road, he probably would have changed direction or crossed over the street. And to be honest, he probably didn't even want this woman in his house at all. But it was only because he was bound by the kind of the custom of the day that he had to keep it open house. And that's probably the only reason why this woman didn't get chucked out. You see, in the Pharisee's mind, he was in a class above the rest. In his mind, he was a man beyond reproach. You know, he was a teacher of the Jewish law. He was one of the most respected people in society. You know, in his mind, he's thinking, look, I'm, I'm almost perfect. You know, none are going to be closer to God than me. And he would make sure that nothing, nothing at all would taint his perfect standing. I mean, he was one of these people that really, really was holier than thou. And so there's no way that he would want to associate with the riffraff like this woman. So when he sees Jesus allowing her to carry on the way that she was, Simon's thinking, do you know what? I've caught him out. I've caught him out here. I've caught him out. Because actually, if he were a real prophet, if he were a real prophet, he would know who this woman was. And if he did know who this woman was, he'd be more like me. He wouldn't want to let, let her touch him. He wouldn't want to let her contaminate him, be surrounded by sin. You know, Simon was so stuck in his ways, he was so stuck in following his religious rules that he just wasn't even aware that something new about the kingdom of God was unfolding before his very eyes and that, that there is grace, that there is grace, that there is grace for all of those that by rights shouldn't be allowed into the kingdom of God and it's actually by God's grace that they are welcomed and, are, and that they are included, not excluded. The actual irony in Simon's thinking is that Jesus did know her. He knew exactly who this woman was. He knew all about her. He knew the things that she was good at. He knew the things that she was bad at. She knew the things that she struggled with, the things that she did well. And Jesus knows us just the same way. He knows us just like that woman. But yet he allows us to be able to approach him and be close to him. He doesn't turn us away. God wants us to know his grace 
in our lives today so that we can be close to him. So what can we learn about the woman? Now, we don't actually know who this woman was. She remains nameless. And to be honest, we're not even sure why she was branded as such a sinner. Some of the commentators think that, they, that she may have been a prostitute, but to be honest, we're really, really not sure, and they don't even agree on that either. So we're not sure who she was. And she wasn't the only woman to anoint Jesus' feet with perfume either. A similar thing happened to Jesus at another dinner with Lazarus as well. So if anyone was concerned about the state of Jesus' feet, I think he was doing okay. So don't worry. <laughs> but the more I've read this story, the more I think that actually this woman is a bit of a hero. And I think there's a lot that we can learn from her attitude towards Jesus. And the first thing is this. You know, she didn't miss out on an opportunity to meet with Jesus. She didn't miss out on an opportunity to meet with Jesus. You know, she clearly wasn't invited to Simon's house, but had obviously heard that Jesus was going to be there, and she didn't want to miss out on that opportunity. You know, she knew that her life was a mess. She knew that she wasn't in a good place, but she didn't fall into the trap of thinking, oh, do you know what? Oh, I know Jesus is around. He's in and around this village. He's in and around the town. What I'll do, I'll kind of go away. I'll try and get myself into a good place, and then I'll present myself towards Jesus. And sometimes, you know, we can fall into that trap as well. We just get a sense of, oh, I'm just not good enough, or I've just mucked up again, or oh, I can't believe the week I've had. Do you know what I'll do? I'll, I'll maybe just skip church for a couple of weeks. I'll just kind of step back a little bit. I try and get myself together again, and then I can come back. Then I can almost present myself back to Jesus once I feel a bit bit better about myself. And this is, in one sense, a real natural human reaction, but it is total rubbish because Jesus doesn't want any of us to step away from him. He wants us to keep on stepping towards him no matter what our situation is, no matter where we find ourselves. And Luke records Jesus saying himself, look, it's not the healthy that need the doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. You know, Jesus is making the point here that, look, if you're sick, then I'm here for you. You know, if you feel that you're lost, then I'm here for you. If you feel that you're a sinner, then I'm here for you. You're the one that I've come for. You're the one that I'm here for. And Jesus is making the point that whoever you are, whatever your condition, whatever state you find yourself in, come as you are. And Jesus will do exactly what he did with this woman. He allowed her to approach him and he changed her life. Now, secondly, she didn't care about what she looked like in front of others as well. You know, she could have maybe waited outside to find Jesus. She could have maybe followed him around a bit or something. You know, that might have been slightly weird. But, you know, she didn't necessarily have to kind of like do something so public in front of so many people. She didn't care what she looked like in front of others. And I think there's a real challenge in there for all of us because sometimes I think many of us, if not all of us, can be so concerned about what people might think about us or what people might say about us that it can actually hold us back and hold others back from encountering Jesus. We've got a saying in my household, with well, saying my household, between me and Laura, B hasn't picked this up yet, thankfully, we might have to change this, but anyway, it's called skanking it up, okay? And basically, what this means is, this is the situation that you find yourself in, where it's like Saturday morning, and you've got up early, or you're just having a lazy morning, and you kind of go to the fridge and you realize, ah, oh, there's no milk, I'm dying for a cup of tea. But there's no way that you're going to go upstairs, have a shower, do your hair, brush your teeth, iron your shirt, just to pop down the road to get some milk. 
So if you're going to pop out in that situation, we say, are you going to skank it up? Oh, fine, all right, I'll see you in a minute. Okay, so it's that type of level. This is what we're talking about. So just to help you, we don't do this all the time. This isn't a weekly occurrence. You know, we are quite healthy, cleansing people. But um, anyway, there is one morning where I found myself in this situation, and almost it was pre-planned because um, it was a Friday night. We had a busy Saturday, and I knew that first thing in the morning, I had the job of going to the dump. That's right. It's exciting times at the weekend in my house. And um, so Friday night, I loaded up the car so it was ready to go. Saturday morning, I'm up early because I wanted to get there first because we had a busy day ahead. So literally, I wake up on a Saturday morning. I need to be at the dump for 7 o'clock. So I'm literally, I'm rolling out of bed. I'm in my pajama bottoms, which clearly look like pajama bottoms, the T-shirt I've slept in, and a battered pair of trainers. But I'm thinking, who else is going to be at the dump at 7 in the morning? (laughs) Hopefully not many people. Anyway, so I jump in the car, and I get to the dump. First one there, no one there, brilliant. Boot open, here we go. It's all, you know, it's all going well. Now, you know, in my head I'm thinking I'm probably not going to be the only one that is going to be there during my time. And lo and behold, a car pulls up. It's quite a big place, and of course, they pull up right next to my car. There are spaces everywhere, but of course, it's right next to my car. Guy gets out. Morning, all right, mate. Morning, all right. I'm thinking I look like a Wally. All right, mate. Yeah, fine. (laughs) Anyway, he's unloading his rubbish. I'm doing my rubbish. And you know, sometimes you just bump into people, and they just start talking, don't they? And basically, this guy just starts telling me all kinds of stuff. He's just like, oh, man, I've had a nightmare week. Life is like this. Oh, I've had all, and, and I'm just, I'm just, all oh, right, yeah, yeah, okay, yeah, I'm fine, yeah, lovely, lovely, great. Oh, that's, oh, that's bad, isn't it? All oh, right, yeah. And anyway, he kind of sums up this whole kind of like monologue with kind of like, I mean, can you really, really find peace in life? And I'm just like, oh, you've got to be joking me. I'm like, <laughs> you know, if there was ever a moment as a Christian to kind of try and share Jesus with someone else, I mean, this was like smacking me in the face. So I'm like, right, okay, I can't duck this one. I need to talk to this guy. So I said, oh, it's interesting you say that, because funnily enough, like, so if you turn back the clock in my life, I probably would have said, said the same thing. But actually, since I've become a Christian, I've known Jesus. I think you really can find peace in life. He was like, wow, really? Anyway, so we enter into this whole kind of conversation for about 20 minutes, half an hour. Cars are coming and going. And it ends up, I'm like, look, I've really got to go. We've had a lovely conversation. I'm never going to see you again. I said, look, do you mind if I pray with you? He said, no, fine. So by this point... You know, I've got my hand on this guy's shoulder. Let's not forget I'm in my (laughs) pyjamas and a battered pair of trainers, and I'm praying for this guy. People are arriving at this point. This this isn't like a nice, quiet spot anymore. But, you know, (laughs) it was a really, really funny moment. But I think sometimes we can be so concerned about what we think and about what others might think of us that actually it can hold us back from encountering Jesus or holding others back from encountering Jesus. Now, look, I'm not saying that we need to go around in our pyjamas and pray for people, because that would be totally weird. So please don't do that. And also, there are plenty of occasions where I'm kicking myself afterwards, thinking, oh, I should have stepped out. I should have said something in that moment. Ah, okay. But the point is, is that God sometimes, and a lot of the time, is speaking to us. You know, he does speak to us, and he prompts us to step out. And I think more and more, we need to be more like the woman and not care about what we look like in front of other people, and not be so concerned about what other people think. And lastly, and ultimately, what can we learn about this woman? You know, she took a step of faith towards Jesus. You know, she had no idea what his reaction was going to be. You know, he was obviously a man of God. 
but somehow he wasn't like the Pharisees. You know, there was something different about him, but in her mind, is this going to go badly for me? Am I going to get burned in public here? Am I going to be accepted? Am I just going to be chucked out? You know, she was not sure how this was going to turn out for her, but she took a step of faith. She had heard enough about Jesus. She'd probably been in some of the crowds hearing him teach. She had heard enough and seen enough that she thought, you know what? I'm just going to go for it. I'm just going to take a step of faith. You know, has he really come from the sick? Has he really come for the sinners? I'm going to take a step of faith. And faith is so important. It's such a key component to our relationship with Jesus. And faith is something, something that is active. It's something that should create movement. I mean, it's not a passive thing. Faith is something that needs to be exercised. I mean, you often hear the phrase, don't you? Kind of like faith in action. But I don't think we've ever heard the phrase of faith and just sitting around and doing nothing. You know, faith is something that is active and it's something that should be exercised. It's something that we need to do. We, like the woman, need to take steps of faith and not worry about what other people, what other people might think. And I have to keep challenging myself this as well. This is a challenge for myself because I know, and I know within myself, that there, are, there have been times that when I've really stepped out in faith, I've sometimes seen God really do some amazing things. So we've looked at the Pharisee. We've looked at the woman. Let's just now look to Jesus. What can we learn about Jesus? I mean, why did he even tell this story? Let's just remind ourselves just of the parable. Two people owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii, the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of both. Now, which of them will love him more? You know, whenever Jesus tells a parable, it's really good to try and work out in your mind, who are the people that are represented in the story? Because this helps us to understand the meaning. Now, the certain moneylender in this story represents God. And here we have two people in debt to him. The first owing 500 denarii. This was like a huge amount of money. This was more than a year's wage. You know, this would have been like a lifetime's worth of debt. The second person, however, only owed 50 denarii. So a little bit smaller. This was probably more like about a month's wage. So nowhere near as big as 500 and maybe something that could have been paid back over time, but nowhere near as much as the other person. So who was the person that owed 500 denarii in the story? This is the sinful woman. This is the sinful woman. You know, she was up to her eyes in debt and in sin. She knew it and everybody else knew it. She owed so much that there was no conceivable way for her to be able to pay it back or make up for it. She owed a debt that could never, ever be repaid, and she was in total need of Jesus. So, who was the person that owed 50 denarii? There's only one person left in the story, so if you haven't worked this out by now, then Jesus is trying to point, his, point the finger at the Pharisee. You know, we know that the Pharisee was sceptical of who Jesus was, but the Pharisee was also totally unaware of his need for Jesus. He was totally unaware of his need for Jesus. I mean, sure, in his mind, he might have owed a little debt. He knew he wasn't perfect, but, you know, I'm not too far off, am I? You know, there's something that I can, it can be worked on. I can pay this back. I can, I can certainly, you know, try harder or be better. You know, I'm nowhere as, nowhere as bad as these other people over here. I'm nowhere as bad as this, this sinful woman who owes so much more than me. He thought his position his title, his upbringing meant that he was good enough already. He was close enough to, good or, to God already. 
Now, it's interesting just to pause at this moment and ask yourself the question, am I more like the Pharisee or am I more like the woman? Am I really aware of my need for Jesus? Do I feel like I owe God a little or do I feel like I owe God a lot? And Jesus is trying to actually quite ironically tell us something here. He's trying to remind us something of, guess what? Guess what? We all owe 500 denarii. We all owe a debt to God that can never, ever be repaid. We all owe God something that we can never make up for. And even if in our minds we think, oh, it's only a little amount, it's something small, I can kind of work on this, we are just deceiving ourselves. We all owe a debt that can never, ever be repaid. And Paul reminds us of this in the book of Romans. We read in Romans 3, verse 23, where he says, look, all have sinned. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All have sinned. All have fallen short of the glory of God. You know, compared to God, who is higher, bigger, so much bigger than we can possibly conceive, who just encompasses and defines holiness and perfection and truth. I mean, who are we? Who are we compared to God? And at the end of the day, whether we think we've sinned a little or whether we've sinned a lot, we have all fallen short of God's perfection. You know, we can never earn the right or do enough or try harder and get ourselves on an equal standing with God. We can never make up for it on our own. And we see it in the parable itself. We see it because Jesus says of both debts that neither of the people could afford to repay him. Neither of them could afford to repay him. Even the guy who didn't owe a lot, he couldn't afford to repay him. He couldn't do anything to make it right. And it's at this point in the story that we see God's grace at work. I mean, can you imagine being freed of a debt that you couldn't repay? I mean, it makes me think of like the 14-year-old girl, her house in Billericay. I mean, £30,000 worth of damages. You know, do you think a 14-year-old girl from Billericay has got 30 grand sitting in her account that goes, oh, don't worry, it's covered? No, not at all. Not at all. Can you imagine the feeling if they just suddenly received a letter through the post and from somebody who might have read about it in a paper and said, do you know what, that sounds really, really bad. Here's a cheque for £30,000. Don't worry, let me pay that debt for you. I mean, how much relief would they feel? How good would they feel inside themselves? How much would they love that person? I mean, on a bigger scale, you take a country like Greece that is for years and years now been in total, total debt. It's like estimated they're in way over 300 billion euros worth of debt. I mean, can you imagine if someone like, I don't know, Bill Gates, the richest person in the world, just went and took a holiday to Greece and thought, I like this country, I'll pay this debt. Let me take this debt. I'll cover this debt. I mean, how much would Greece love Bill Gates? I mean, they would probably have framed pictures of him in every room of their house. I mean, they'd probably have like a national Bill Gates day or something like that. Now, I'm I'm paraphrasing here, but one of the things the Bible is telling us is that he who is forgiven much loves much, and that he who is forgiven little loves little. You know, and this is why the woman came to Jesus. This is why the woman wept and washed Jesus' feet and poured out expensive perfume on him because she knew, she knew she had been forgiven a great debt and that she knew that she could finally find peace and be at peace with God. You know, we have all sinned. We have all fallen short of the glory of God. We all owe a debt that we can never, ever repay. But the amazing truth is, is that through Jesus, we can really know forgiveness. 
that through Jesus we can really know freedom. I mean, how long had that woman been probably been carrying around that sin for? Probably years. But Jesus says, no, we can find freedom. If you come to me, you can find freedom. You don't need to carry that debt anymore. And the woman found peace. And it costs us nothing. You know, this is a free gift. This is God's grace towards us. And the sinful woman, we read about it, had faith for it. She received it and she experienced it. You know, Jesus says to her at the end of this passage, his last words to her are this, your sins are forgiven, your faith has saved you, now go in peace. Now go in peace. Your sins are forgiven, your faith has saved you, go in peace. And this really is the heart of the gospel message. So what does this parable, what does this story that Jesus told, what does this really mean for us today? You know, this is such an important parable for us to understand. And it's important for us to recognize and not lose sight of that in the parable, do you know what? Both debts were forgiven. Both debts were forgiven. And there's like a spiritual echo here that no matter our sin, no matter our mess, we can still find full forgiveness, and we can still find real peace. The Bible tells us, I mean, there are verses and stories upon stories and verses about God's heart towards us, how he wants to save us and rescue us. In Isaiah, we read a a verse that says, you know, surely the arm of the Lord is not too short to save. You know, he's saying, look, it doesn't matter where you find yourself, you know, you can never be beyond God's reach. We read in Psalm 103, You know, as far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. You know, there's nowhere where we can't be reached from from God's hand, but also when he gets hold of us, when he gets hold of us, when we come to him, when we approach him, he says, your sin is remembered no more. I've taken it away. It's like as far as the east is from west, so far has he removed your transgressions from us. And this parable reminds us, reminds all of us of our need for Jesus in our lives. You know, we can't save ourselves. And it really is only through Jesus that we can find forgiveness, that we can find freedom, and we can come to a place where we really know the peace of God in our hearts and in our lives. Amen. Amen. Why don't we just stand together? I'm just going to pray, and then we're going to go into a time of worship. But let's just pray. Let's just bring ourselves before God. Jesus, I just want to thank you for the story that we've read about this morning. Lord, I want to thank you that you are reminding us today that we all need you in our lives. Lord, I thank you that no matter where we find ourselves in a, in a real mess today, Lord, or even if we think we're close to you, Lord, I thank you that we know that we need you no matter where we find ourselves. And God, I just want to pray for those right now that maybe don't know your forgiveness, that maybe don't know 
the peace of God in their lives. Lord, I just ask that you would come and meet with them right now. Jesus, I just ask that you would come and just be speaking to their heart right now and just be whispering to them saying, you can take a step of faith today. You can approach me today because my arm is not too short to rescue you. And whatever your sin, I want to remove it from you as far as the east is from west. I want to give you real peace in your heart this morning. So Jesus, as we worship, as we sing this song, Jesus, I pray that you would be speaking to every person in this place, reminding them of your grace, your faithfulness, and what you've done for them.